This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you and praise you again, Lord. What a joy for us uh, to gather and to be able to share in communion, to be able to share in song, uh, in prayer, together, Lord God. Uh, We praise you, Father God, and we ask you, Lord, that you would just Bless the remainder of the meeting together here this morning, Lord. Let our hearts be edified, let our lives be challenged. Uh, Lord, that as Paul wrote to Timothy, that we might grow by the power of your word, Lord God, because all scripture is given for us, is profitable in doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that we might be thoroughly equipped by it. And so we ask you, Lord, this morning, equip us thoroughly, for your good work. Amen. <coughs> Praise the Lord. Well, you can head to our website if you need um, uh, the previous messages in this series. Uh, we're not going to delay. We've been talking about the centrality of death. And um, uh, so we are here now talking about through death to resurrection. And You know, this sign right here or this image right here would be the part where the hallelujah chorus would would begin and, uh, you know, there'd be all the hallelujahs uh, happening. And so, um, as we've said, we've focused quite a bit on some of the supposed negatives of the Christian message, the Christian life, rejection, that of rejection and being slain, and we have said that even for Christians, though Christ was in the centrality of the gospel message, the one who was rejected, slain and resurrected on our behalf, we too, in following Jesus, are to take up our cross daily and die to self in order to follow him. So we turn to the positive now of this resurrection. Romans 6 verse 4. Therefore, we were buried buried with him through baptism into death and replaced the word baptism with the word immersion and it is an immersion into Christ that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in in newness of life. We've also mentioned Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh or in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hallelujah. So after... Rejection, crucifixion, after crucifixion, resurrection. After the rejection of self, after the death of self, then there continues to be a resurrection and the transfiguration of Christ expresses this vividly. It was a prefiguration of Christ's resurrection and a time of glory. He was glorified in that place. Luke records in 
chapter 9, verse 29, as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. Matthew records it thus, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white, as white as the light. Let the description just settle in for a moment there. Christ being transfigured, as the scripture says, or becoming radiantly glorified in that situation here on earth prior to his death and and resurrection. But it was a symbol of that which would come, of his glorification to come. These things happened in history. And this is something we've talked about before. The scripture is a record of time and space. It is a record of events that happened in history. And this is important because in these days, religious things, and when I say religious, I mean Christian things, are constantly being pushed into non-historic realms. People call, constantly call it mythology and ancient mythology and they refer to the gospel writers and the scripture writers as a bunch of goat herders and all, all different kinds of things, as many things as they can say to disparage the authenticity and the historicity of scripture. But here in the account of the transfiguration, we have a record of time and place. Luke records on the next day when they were come down from the hill, much people met him. Luke 9 verse 37. Christ and the disciples at a certain point in time went up to a place that the gospel writers knew where that place was. At another point they came down. People were there to meet them. These are times and places in history. And it's important for us to understand that, that the scripture is filled with historical records for you and I. As they went up into the hillside, they didn't move into some uh, kind of, you know, wormhole in the universe, um, you know, and, and just go through some some momentary uh, one second experience that was slowed down in the eternal scheme of things where you know that didn't happen. They were in time and they were in a place. And this is an important point for us because um, while this was happening, down still going on in the community below were the normal activities of life. And the same thing is true in the realm of time in which we live in today. You and I, everything that we do happens in time and places. At, at the same time, we're in places. You're here at the moment. Now, if they had been wearing watches, uh, you know, their watches wouldn't have stopped with that time eternally marked on their, you know, Seiko sundial or, or whatever the case was. It, that wouldn't have happened. But instead... Time would have kept going through that period of time, and there they may have been able to record things like, and you know, at approximately six fourteen, this marvelous event happened, and maybe they had, but 
They didn't. They talked about the uh, the evenings. They talked about the mornings. They talked talked about the place in which they were in. So time was still going on. Time passed, and it was then the next day. This is a principle of history, and you hear people talk about it even today, that things happen. History is comprised of time and space. Every event occurs at a time in history and at a location in history. You, you talk about the, the great earthquake, uh, you know, of, or the volcano, you know, Krakatoa, and if you're in New Zealand, they talk about the explosion that happened at Taupo, and Phil and I got to go there a few years back and see Lake Taupo, which is about the size of Singapore and was once a, uh, a volcano, you know, and uh, doesn't exist now, it's just a giant inland lake, uh, massive, caused by a volcano. And it's recorded in history, and the interesting thing is that Chinese history records the experience of the event that took place because of the earth tremors that happened at the time. It's recorded in time and history. Time and space, I, I don't mean space out there, I mean time and location. These are in um, embroidering or, or in uh, uh, fabrication, these would be called the warp and the woof of history. And for that example, there's some thread and the, the threads going in one direction are the warp and in the other direction are the woof and I've probably got it back to front. You know, it, it might be the warp and the woof, who, who knows, it doesn't matter. But this illustration illustrates that, and uh, I believe the warp is is the horizontal threads, uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. Life is comprised of the same kind of thing. We have time and location. And if you think about the events in your life, you might think about when you got married and uh, you might say, oh, yes, we got, you know, Suzanne and I, we got married in 1984 in Scarborough Beach in Western Australia, on Scarborough Beach Road in a, in a church there. And you, everything is comprised with time and location. We say things like, oh, I remember when our first son was born in East Melbourne. You know, whatever it is, it's time and location all the time. Here we talk about the Mount of Transfiguration. True history took place and it's rooted in a time, this event took place, in a time and a location. The glorification of Jesus was not in the world of some philosophical kind of statement. He was seen in a certain way in that place. He, his robes were shining like the sun. His face was glowing. This is the reality of space and time or place and time. And the transfiguration demonstrates the hard realities of the words that Jesus spoke as they came down the hill. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. Remember, Jesus, in this experience with Moses and Elijah, and then Peter, 
has just been saying, Lord, this is good that we're here. Let's build three little tabernacles, one for you and Moses and Elijah. And, you know, this will be a great place for remembrance and for worship and for offerings. And who knows what revival might happen out of this location of these tabernacles here. And who knows what will happen. And so, you know, the voice from heaven speaks and says, Peter, shut up. This is my son. Listen to him. As they walk away, his son says, The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. Rejection, crucifixion, resurrection. There it is. Slain and raised in history. These are not abstract ideas. These are ideas recorded also in history, in time and in space or place. When we come to the actual resurrection of Jesus Christ, we find some emphasis that is the same. He asked the disciples who he met on the road to Emmaus, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. The question was asked on a certain day in the calendar. It's asked at a certain hour of the day, on a certain, you know, if they had the Melways or the Israelways back then, they'd be able to say, that happened here. All of Messiah's resurrection appearances occurred in space and time. They're recorded by people in places, in locations. In Luke 24, he stood in the midst of them in their normal everyday life. In their fear, they tried to push him off into another realm. The scripture says that they were terrified and supposed that they had seen a spirit. But Jesus wouldn't allow this. He said to them, Behold my hands and my feet. Take a look. I'm I'm right here. Take a look. It's it's a spirit, a ghost. Take a look. I'm right here. Behold my hands and my feet. Remember this? Handle me. If he was a spirit... He he was proving to them that he was alive, that he was there completely in that physical sense. This counters the teachings of people like the Jehovah's Witnesses who say that he rose as a spirit. And then he said, For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see me have. I'm right here, right now, touch me. It couldn't be more convincing if he tried. Then he took broiled fish and honeycomb and did eat before them. This was another absolute evidence to them because they would believe a spirit could not do this. In his resurrected body, he is resurrected physically. 
He's not in some far-off place. He's, you know, when people talk about the resurrection of Jesus as, as being some sort of mythology or it's a, a symbol for people's new lives when they give themselves in devotion to some kind of thing and they feel like they've been born again, they've had a resurrection experience and that's what the scripture is talking about with Jesus. No. The scripture has inserted in it these details which prove to us that his resurrection was a physical resurrection in geographical locations in history. History is the record of time, events that happen in time and at places. That's what it is. If you talk about 9-11, 9-11, the name of an event, is an event that happened on September the 9th. Uh, the 9th of September, the 11th of September. Darn Americans with their calendars back to front. The 11th of September. That's, that's what it is, but you know that that, was, that that was in a location. It immediately conjures thoughts to your mind about where that took place. In John 20, the same kind of emphasis. Then the same day at evening, there's a time, being the first day of the week, there's a more specific time. When the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled, there's a location for the fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. So here he is in this body that's been resurrected, which they're able to touch. And they're in a room with the doors locked because they're afraid of people. He came and and turned up in the middle of that room. So his body is somehow changed. It is different or his command over himself has changed. John 20 again. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. He knew the wounds that Christ had suffered. He knew what had happened to him. He knew his side had been pierced and this was absolute proof of his death. And unless I see that and can touch him in actual place, and and perform this actual event at some actual time, I'm not going to believe it. After eight days, the disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst. It's like he's replaying the event so that Thomas can have his experience as well. And said, peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. That's that's pretty confronting, isn't it? I mean, if you're Thomas, you're really being put in your place. But you're also in the mercy of Jesus. He's being given a wonderful opportunity for his faith to be strengthened right here and now. 
and reach your hand out here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Be gone with that doubt, Thomas. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. I've had some interesting talks with JWs about this and they say that Thomas blasphemed there. Like people say, you know, OMG, that that's what Thomas was doing, this devout Jewish man. That's, yeah. Anyway, we'll leave the uh, ridiculous for them to sort out. John 20, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's you, beloved. That you have not seen yet. You haven't had the experience of putting, uh, of touching Jesus Handling him, as John talks about, handling him. It's the same body, doors shut, and he appears in the midst. John 21 verse 19 says, As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread, and the emphasis is on Jesus sharing food with the disciples again. Scripture shows us history, his story. Amen. History is his story. It's a you know a cheesy old euphemism, but it's good. It is his story. It's the story of the God of all eternity engaging with people in this realm in which we live. Here we have the body of Jesus in space and time, alive, resurrected, calling on people to touch him, calling on people to believe him. And this is meaningful to us because it is in our dimension, even though we're not in that time. We're not in that place. Cranbourne probably was not a suburb at that stage. You know, I, I, I dare say. I have a feeling. Yeah. I could be wrong. But it's meaningful to us because, because it is still in our earthly dimension that this took place. Acts 1, verses 1 to 3, the former account I made, O Theophilus, a, a beautiful name actually, lover of God, Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he thought he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, being seen by them forty days, he goes on to say, to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs. There's been a lot of research done into the writings of the book of Luke and the book of Acts, uh, both written by Luke, the doctor, and uh, they've been analysed by theologians. And when we say theologians, some of those theologians are non-Christian theologians uh, who attest to the strength of Luke's research and the testimonies that he called upon in his research in, in finding people who were able to testify and verifying their testimonies. And uh, it is, it's a wonderful work that he did. And that is why we're able to have confidence 
in the word of God. Infallible proof, Luke calls it. Infallible proof. Now we should not draw back from the ascension either. Have you ever been talking to someone who, you know, one of those angry atheists, the neo-atheists that um, have arisen from the time of Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and other angry atheists that are around and, and so you say, you know, things, maybe you're out street preaching and you preach on the gospel message and you, you say that Christ was crucified and, and buried and resurrected and then he ascended into heaven in front of 500 witnesses and so they would challenge you. So you're saying he just floated up into the clouds? Well, pretty much, Yeah. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Hundreds of people gathered there speaking to them and then he ascends up in front of them. This is the thing that above every other modern man cannot accept that Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. He can't accept that because, you know, they, they want to decry the possibility of miracles, the possibility of supernatural. Well, if God is superhuman or, or supernatural himself, then that which is abnormal to us is very normal to him. It was supernatural for him to appear in a room that's locked. I don't, if you're in if you're in a room that's locked, you know you've locked that door to keep people out, and and the scripture told us that they were afraid of the Jews, so they'd locked the door. Didn't matter because this Jewish man Jesus came into the middle of them. Even in modern times, liberal theologians will often uh, uh, speak the resurrection down and speak the ascension down. Uh, an Anglican bishop in a book called Honest to God, his name is John Robinson, he attacked the ascension of Jesus. Um, so, you know, this is a, an archbishop of the Anglican church. It's asserted by those who interviewed eyewitnesses that it happened. These are people from that day and age. You know, even in the time since 9-11, there are that many different theories about what actually happened. There were, you know, there are people who grabbed their phones and filmed stuff that happened. And it doesn't seem to matter that that footage made it out anywhere because it's still, there are many different theories about it. A resurrected body that can eat meat, that can, that can be touched, that can appear in a room in the midst of them and then ascend into heaven. This is history, despite what the 20th century mystic and skeptic might say. So we have to remember at this point that Christ has been appearing and disappearing, being seen by people and, and absent from them for 40 days. The supernatural is, is not in one direction, as it, as it were. It's, it was 
here, he was here, he was there, he ascended, he appeared in a closed room, all of these kinds of things. And all the time there's this emphasis on history. History that you and I are also a part of, the resurrected body of Jesus ascending into the clouds. It was at an hour of the day. It was at a day of the year, at a year in the calendar. There was a moment when his feet left the Mount of Olives, where he was standing among them and then began to ascend above them. And so, you know, when when people pull away from these things in mainstream Christianity, when they, when they pull away from them and they begin to go soft on these kinds of things, it it's, begins to contradict their uh, position in other areas because if you don't believe that, how can you believe other supernatural things that happen in Scripture? And so then we get back to the, uh, we get back to the goat herders who wrote the books. Don't we? We get back to that kind of thinking. Well, they, they didn't mean a literal ascension. He just went off. You know, he travelled over to India and he took the gospel there. He ended up in England. The biblical perspective of history presents Christ in this way as having suffered rejection suffered crucifixion and experienced resurrection and ascension. That's the biblical. That's the pattern of biblical spirituality, of true Christianity. It's the same pattern for our lives and it brings us right back to the start. Therefore, we were buried with him that through baptism, uh, through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. In the biblical times, when somebody confessed Christ, and this is the emphasis of Romans 10, when Paul writes to the Roman church and he says that if you confess Jesus with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. He's talking to people in a day and time in which the persecution was so intense upon Christians because of one factor. That factor being that they would not bow down to the Caesar and declare him to be God in in the Roman days. And so uh, in the Roman times, the, the Caesar's servants would carry around uh, various different temple kind of instruments and, and different things and they would come into areas where, where the market might be and they'd bring these items along and they would ask the people to swear their allegiance and confess Caesar to be God. And for the Christian, obviously, this was a problem because you could be put to death right there. And so Paul was writing to the Romans in that day and in that time and saying to them that if you confess Jesus as Lord, believing in your heart, you will be saved. It had a different meaning to them. It meant we'll be saved right then. Our security is with the Lord, even if we're put to death. This wasn't a confess it and possess it kind of doctrine. He wasn't saying just just confess and believe and God's going to... He'll take you from that place and put you in another street. You'll be saved. 
He's saying even if you're killed, you'll be saved. See, being baptised in biblical times and confessing Jesus as your Lord could mean your death. You've seen probably photographs of Chinese Christians in the 70s uh, going down to frozen lakes and rivers in the middle of the night and punching a hole through the ice and baptising people uh, there in the middle of the night because it was the only safe time to do a water baptism by immersion for risk of their lives. I tell you that to those people, these scriptures are real. That's real to them. That in a time and a place they could confess Jesus as as their Lord and possibly die. That is the principle of the central, central truth of scripture of rejection, crucifixion, resurrection. That's why Paul is able to say to the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. Why? Because when he confessed Christ as his Lord, when he confessed the Messiah, I've been crucified with the anointed one, the anointed one. When he did that, he was alienated immediately from the community that he was a a respected part of. The Jewish leaders of Jerusalem, he was a respected part of these people. To confess the Messiah as his Lord alienated them immediately. I have been crucified. I died with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's why when they said to him, don't go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound up and put in prison. He said, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to lay my life down. Why was he ready to do that? Because Jesus laid his life down. That's the principle of true Christianity. That as Christ was rejected, crucified, resurrected, so you and I to follow him must understand it is a life of rejection and death and resurrection. And the life which I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the pattern of biblical Christianity. Can you say hallelujah? Amen. He is not here for he has risen. Praise God. It's through death to resurrection. Hallelujah. Our Father, we thank you again, Lord. Thank you for the power and the wonder of the gospel message. Lord, though we uh, from day to day have our struggles and our trials and uh, our, our victories and our failings, yet you remain constant. And we thank you for this. Your message is constant and true. We praise you for this. We ask you, Lord, help us to have our faith deeply rooted in you that we might face whatever rejection and death that lay before us, Lord, knowing that we are to be found in Christ Jesus, resurrected unto eternity with you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. 
For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.